There we go. Okay, let me go ahead and turn off the recording really quick. We'll start. Hello, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to futureofeducation.com presents. Tonight, we're going to talk about students on homework. We're going to have a special guest coming in, Kathleen Cushman. And she's also going to have Honor Mormon, that's going to be the teacher of the students that will be on the panel as they are giving us their feedback on what they feel about what's purposeful homework. And let's go ahead and make sure everybody has a basic introduction to the online classroom a little bit, give you a little overview of some of the tools that are in here. You'll notice that in this upper window, let me get a slightly bigger one, in this upper window you'll see the, all of the different participant names and you can use the scroll bar to go ahead and see it a little bit better. But better yet, you can actually change your layout entirely so that this window is long enough to see everybody and your text chat window can be even longer. If you look up along the bar along the top, you'll see where it says File, Session, View, Tools, Window, and Help. Click on View and hover over where it says Layout. Switch it over to Wide Layout, and I think you'll find that it'll be more comfortable for you. You can see everybody that's in the room all at the same time, and you can see a whole lot of that chat all at one time. And believe me, once chat gets rolling, it flies by so fast that it's really helpful to have that larger window. Now, if you're on a smaller screen computer and you find that it's preferable to go back to the default, feel free to go back and hit the View and go to Default. Oh, Netbooks in particular. Sometimes they just don't quite have enough space for you to do the widescreen. But most of you are probably on desktops or laptops that have plenty of room for the wide. Okay, so now with the wide format, things are shuffled just a little bit, but you can see right where the text chat is. To participate in the text chat, just type in your message in the long bar that's at the bottom, then hit send, and that will send your message out to everybody. There's also a feature called directed chat in which you can do the little down arrow if you want to send a message to a specific person. But don't forget to set it back to this room so that everybody can see the messages later that you want to send to the entire room. To a little bit later, we'll have a time in which the participants will be able to jump in and get to ask questions and use the microphone if they would like to. And when the time comes, just use the hand raise button that you see up just under the participant info window with everybody's names. That will raise your hand and we can in turn give, give each person the microphone one at a time. And to turn on your microphone, hit the little button that's down here. And you'll know that it's on because the microphone will go in the up position and it will have a blue color and a green color around it, to, or sorry, blue and yellow color around it to let you know that you're transmitting. Okay, and let's see, in a little bit, we're going to ask you where you're logging in from, and whenever you do so, you will find the tools along the whiteboard will be turned on for you, and you'll see the little tool set, and there's going to be a, looks like a blue stick with a little red wand, and that will give you a pointer tool. It's very much like the tool I've got right now that's directing your attention. And you'll be able to show us right where you are logging in from in, in this world. And before we get to that one, I'm pretty sure that's the next one, or it is, I want to give everyone an opportunity to realize why my voice doesn't sound the least bit like Steve Hargadon's voice. Pretty good reason for that. He's not able to be in tonight. He's at a conference. So he asked if I would jump in and run the tech tonight. 
and my name is Tammy Moore, and you, you may have had a chance to meet me a couple of different locations on, oh, for instance, Classroom 2.0 live program on Saturdays. I do the closed captioning there, and I'm there pretty much every weekend. All right, so let's go ahead now. I'm kind of curious where everybody's logging in from. That's always one, one part I love to do. So here's your chance now. I'm going to turn on the tools. And you've got an opportunity to go ahead and grab up the tools and show us where you're logging in from. Sorry, I'm doing this one at a time. For some reason, whenever I try to do it outside of a breakout room, I find I have to do it one at a time. There we go. Just about button down there. There you go. So go ahead and show where you're logging in. I'll add mine on there too. Let's see. Let me get a little dot one. If I can get the dot one. There we go. All right. Looks like we have a lot of participants signing in from the United States, a few from South America, a few from over in Asia and Australia. And for a second, I thought I saw one flashing up in Canada. It might have just been trying to position it. And if you want to type into text chat the specific location, you can. It looks like Lima, Peru, New Jersey, Atlanta, Minnesota, Australia, New York City, Argentina, Hong Kong. I always love to see these international audiences. Manila, <laughs> raining on the Hudson River. And Japan, and Texas, and Appalachian, Ohio, <laughs> Connecticut, China. There we go. Looks like a lot of places getting rain. Alrighty, so let's go ahead. Now we've had a chance to get a little bit of an introduction, at least as far as where everybody's logging in from. We'll go ahead and move on and find out a little bit about Kathleen Cushman, who is our special guest tonight. Sorry about this. Let me get one at a time. Most everybody else seems to be able to have tools to turn these off all, all one at a time, but I can only do that when I'm in a breakout room. Not quite sure why. Something to do with my computer setup, I guess. There we go. Got it all. Okay, tonight our guest is Kathleen Cushman. She's an educator and a journalist who has specialized in the lives and learning of youth for over two decades. In 2001, she co-founded the nonprofit What Kids Can Do. And under its auspices, she has since written nine books in collaboration with diverse youth from around the nation. Cushman's latest book is Fires in the Mind, What Kids Can Tell Us About Motivation and Mastery. And on her blog, she facilitates a national conversation with educators and parents about motivation and mastery in schools and out. Support from MetLife Foundation makes this work possible. And we would like you to go ahead and welcome her. I've already seen a lot of applause taking place. And welcome her tonight. We're going to go ahead and turn it over to Kathleen. OK, Kathleen, take it away. Thank you, Tammy. It's really wonderful to be here tonight. And actually, the star of the show tonight, the two stars of the show, are students. And this is one of the great pleasures I have in my work life, which is essentially all about interviewing students about their own lives and learning. Tonight, I turned to a school where various students, in fact, a whole uh, group of 18 or 20 students, worked with me on Fires in the Mind. 
um, you'll read their voices in Fires in the Mind, but but tonight those students are now graduated, and so tonight I reached out to the International School of the Americas, which is in it's part of the Northeast Independent School District in San Antonio, Texas, and I'd like to introduce now Catherine Playar, who's a senior there, grade 12, 17 years old, and Ian Flores, who is in grade 10, 15 years old, who very kindly agreed to join me on this really important subject of homework tonight. So I want to welcome both of you, Catherine and Ian. Now, my work for Fires in the Mind centered around the question, the driving question, what does it take to get really good at something? And almost all the students I asked came up with the answer pretty quickly that it takes practice. We all know that because it's all part of our folklore, our really, our culture is that you get better by practice. And yet, we often don't take the time to think carefully about what really effective practice looks like. And since um, it was so important to think about that, I wanted to uh, introduce our discussion tonight by a, an outline of what cognitive researchers, cognitive psychologists, call effective practice, which is deliberate practice. And on this slide now, I'm assuming that you can see the slide, is that correct? Um, mm -hmm. On this slide it. now, uh, on this slide now are the elements that cognitive psychologists and researchers have defined as the kind of practice that works. So let's just go over them quickly uh, before we start, because the students themselves have studied this and will be commenting on it as we go forward. Deliberate practice always has an express purpose. It's always geared to the individual. It always involves attention and focus. It requires repetition or rehearsal. It requires careful timing. It leads to new skills. And unfortunately, it's not inherently enjoyable. So those are the premises that we took to the students, the students and I took up when we worked in, on Chapter 8 of Fires in the Mind, which is all about homework. And we asked ourselves what, what, whether homework itself lived up to those criteria. So I'm going to start by asking you in the audience to write in the chat just a few words that describe your own experiences with school homework when you were a student. Just describe the feeling tone of it, your, anything that describes your experience of um, your own homework when you were a student. And I'm really dying to see what you say. And the students, I hope the students can also look at this because I'm going to get to you next. Um, gee, there aren't a lot of positive things coming in. Tedious, usually easy, too much, everyone does the same thing, busy work, boring, mundane. Oh no, tedious, tedious, one size fits all, voluminous, remembering, Jenny's remembering, not fun at all. Ah, one person said she loved it, never enough. And it taught me how to work and think, usually busy work, not useful. I'm going to ask Catherine 
um, I'm going to introduce Catherine, who is a senior and who plays the cello and the guitar and is also on the soccer team. And I want to start by um, asking her about deliberate practice when it takes place outside of school. Um, Catherine, can you tell us, please, you're a soccer player. Can you tell us what it feels like to do deliberate practice as a soccer player? And I'm going to switch back to the list there, but tell me, what kind of practice in soccer works best when there's a coach right there with you, when you're at soccer practice outside? Are you on? Yes, I'm here. Um, I feel that uh, since I'm a goalie, I'm actually the goalie for my team, I do a lot of dives um, that can potentially be very dangerous and can um, hurt me and injure me if I do them um, incorrectly. So when I was first learning how to uh, perform and do these dives, I had to practice them over and over with my coach right by my side, making sure that I was doing it correctly and um, making sure that I was not getting lazy with them and because of the simple fact that they were so dangerous. So I feel that if I were to go home and try to do this by myself when I didn't know how to do them, that I could have potentially gotten hurt. So I didn't feel confident going home and doing them by myself at that time without my coach there with me. Um, Catherine, that's really interesting because essentially when you were practicing in in your uh, sessions with the coach, these things that had an express purpose that were exactly what you needed to study, that involved a close amount of attention and focus, that required repetition and rehearsal, and that required really careful um, watching and, and probably careful timing. And it led to a new skill. And I'm wondering what the difference was when you were on your own practice. Do you ever practice soccer on your own, Catherine, uh, without? I do practice some skills on my own. Um, I, again, I'm a goalie, and so my foot skills are not as strong as uh, the foot skills of my peers that are, are forwards on our team or uh, play, the, play the field more than I do. Uh, so I can go home and practice my foot skills, like dribble 100 times with my right foot and maybe 200, 200 times with my left foot just because uh, my right is my dominant foot and I need to be on the same level with both my feet in order to be a well-rounded player, which is what our coach wants us to be, um, especially since I'm a goalie. Um, a lot of, I guess, uh, stereotypes are that goalies don't really run all that much and that we don't really need to do a bunch of ball handling, but uh, my coach really pushes the fact that we need to all be uh, well-rounded players and know how to do things. So, Catherine, when when you're practicing without your coach there, you're you're describing a different kind of practice that that works partly because you can do it on your own. And I'm looking for our our list here. You can do it on your own. It is geared to what you need to and can practice on your own, and it has an express purpose. Does it involve a lot of attention and focus when you're practicing that footwork on your own? Absolutely, it does. If I um, if I try to 
if I'm trying to get better at a certain set skill and I'm not really giving it 100% effort and I'm just going through the motions with it, then I don't feel that um, what I'm trying to learn is going to stick with me. Um, and so if I actually focus and uh, give it 100%, 100% of the time, that the skill will come uh, a lot faster than if I was just going through the motions with it. It's interesting. When you talk about going through the motions, I'm looking at this uh, this element of deliberate practice that says it requires repetition or rehearsal, but it really requires very focused repetition, not rote repetition. You, if you, if very often people assign a kind of rote repetition for homework, but um, that work that you're doing wouldn't move you ahead into new skills if you weren't really focusing. Is is what you seem to be saying? Am I correct? Yes. So I'd like to talk to Ian for a, a minute about his experience. And Ian is a tenth grader, and he plays the um, he plays the electric bass. And he, when he gets home at night, he told me he often just plays to relax. Ian, are are you there? I'm here. Welcome. So when you get home and start playing around on your bass, is that something that you feel you're doing in order to get better at your bass skills, or are you just doing it to kind of chill and relax? Well, when I play the um, bass at home, I do want to get better, but I also feel that it's it's something that I want to do because I want to do it, and it's something I find relaxing. So do you think there's a difference between when you're trying to say, I know you really like Jimi Hendrix, and um, when you're trying to kind of practice something that you admire in a really good bass player like Jimi Hendrix, is there a difference between the way that you uh, practice when you're just kind of playing and letting it all out and that? Uh, yeah, like um, when I'm just playing to like let it out, what I um, often do is often just play like um, whatever I have in my head at the time. Well, if I'm trying to like learn some new song or like a new part of a song, what I do is, um, you know, I have the music out in front of me, I'm looking at it, I'm um, figuring it out on the bass, and I'll oftentimes look at it, uh, I'll listen to it on a CD or something. So you're paying attention, you're focusing, and are you doing it over and over, the same thing over and over? Yes, I'll often do the uh, same thing over and over until I get it right, because um, you know it's something that I want to learn and it's it's interesting. Tell me, Ian, when you do that, is is it is there a certain time that you can do it, and then you just can't? It, it, after that kind of time, it loses its effectiveness, and you have to stop or take a break. I usually play for around like an hour, because um, after that amount of time, I start to like almost get fed up with myself if I um, if I'm really messing up a bit. So after that amount of time, I just decide to um, put the bass down, you know, calm down, maybe do something else. And if I want to come back to it, then I will. And when you're working on some particular aspect of some some passage or some technique that you want to get right. Can you do it for an hour, or is it shorter for uh, something like that? I'll often do um, shorter when it comes to things like that, and um, I'll take like a break in between, and I'll do something else. Like I'll play another song, and then I'll go back to it just so I can uh, get a different perspective almost. 
So uh, it, it's interesting. The things that uh, these two students, Catherine and Ian, have told us really highlight something that deliberate practice is not. It's one thing deliberate practice is not is play. It's not when Ian plays on his uh, acoustic bass or electric bass, he's, he's playing. And when he's practicing, he's practicing. It's very, very different. It's also deliberate practice is not work. It's, it's a kind of working at something, but it's not labor in the sense of gainful employment. And it's also not performance. When you're practicing something, you're not performing it. And as Catherine so rightly pointed out, it's not rote repetition that you don't have to think about. It's, it's really a thing all of its own. So it's always been interesting to me to start with the things that students are so committed to and engaged with outside of school when we talk about this essential question, what does it take to get really good at something? So I always ask them first, what are they good at and what are they practicing outside of school? But we're here today to talk about homework, which is a lot like the same thing Catherine's doing when she goes home and practices her footwork without her coach there over and over again, paying close attention so that she can get to be a better goalie. And it also resembles what Ian does when he goes home and uh, plays his bass, just small passages in a very intensive way, trying to make that work and get it, move himself one step ahead. But now I'd like to move into the classroom and ask these students about uh, the kind of practice that they like and don't like when it comes to academic homework. And what I ask the students in, in the book, and I'll ask Catherine and Ian the same question here, is to answer the to fill out the rest of this, this sentence. I decide to do my homework when, and feel free to chime in if you're on um, on the chat. Um, this is what I asked them to complete this sentence. Let's start with uh, Catherine, because uh, you, you spoke, um, you haven't spoken for a bit. Catherine, when do you decide to do your homework and not to do your homework? I decide to do my homework when it's something that, a, a certain lesson that I understand for the most part, but I still need practice on. For instance, in math class, if uh, we have equations that uh, I don't understand, I'm in calculus this year actually, and we were learning about derivatives. And at first, I didn't really understand how we got to the derivatives because um, there was a lot of equations that you had to plug into a bigger equation. So uh, I would go home and practice a bunch of different examples of uh, the problems and the repetition of getting through the steps and getting through the whole plugging in the equations uh, made it a lot more. Uh, it was easier to uh, understand it after I did it multiple times to see the whole process again. So again, looking at our list here, it required repetition or rehearsal from you. It required a lot of attention and focus. It had an express purpose for you. Was it geared to what you needed to do? Was it geared to your individual needs? 
process? Yes, actually it was. Um, I understand. Well, some of my friends uh, got it easier than I did, and some actually didn't understand it as well as I did at the time. And uh, for me specifically, that's what I needed to go home and do. And I know that some of my friends needed to stay in tutoring for a while to even understand what a derivative, uh, what a derivative was. And some of my other friends like didn't need to practice as much as I did because they understood uh, the steps that went into it. So specifically for me, that's what I went home and did. And, and was that okay with your teacher that you were all doing different things? Absolutely. Um, all of our teachers are really great, and um, they all provide tutoring times um, on uh, a, a certain schedule that they call office hours. And uh, my math, especially math teachers uh, here, they're really, really understanding when it comes to uh, how d different students understand different things at different levels and. Um, at different rates than others. And so they, they, so they give you uh, uh, they give you assignments that are geared to you. Um, not necessarily. Uh, they give us all the same homework. However, um, some students uh, they do allow students to come in and get extra help on that homework. And then uh, for the students that it's easier for, uh, they can do the homework a lot easier than us. Um, I'd like to uh, ask Ian the other question is, uh, when do you decide not to do your homework, Ian? Uh, can you give me an example of a time when you just, it's not worth it to you to do your homework? Uh, yeah, like, um, especially when I've been doing homework, like, really late for the last couple nights, and um, I've, like, it's just gotten to the point where I'm starting to get headaches from, like, lack of sleep. It gets to the point where I see another homework assignment. And it's just, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to get some sleep. And if I get a zero or if they get angry at me for not doing homework, then you know what? I'd rather, you know, get sleep than um, have do my homework and have a headache during the day. So does that seem unfair to you that you're going to get a zero for something in order to um, take care of your personal health? Um. Ian, um, I'm just wondering. Go ahead. Does it seem unfair? Well, it, it kind of does. Yes, it seems unfair. But on the other hand, uh, yes. There's the time delay. Okay. It does seem slightly unfair that I'm gonna get a zero because of um. Because you know, I've been up late doing other homework. But um, on the other hand, I understand that sometimes you know there are things that need to be learned, and um, if I can't do them, I guess there are so consequences. So, you think that teaching strategy might need to be re-examined if if uh, people can't do the homework because of? Uh, can you imagine something teachers could do to make that to make that better? For example, um, you, you. Um, yeah, like if a teacher, um, um, yes, if a teacher, you know, um, for instance, looked at the, uh, the other schedules, the other homework that the uh, other teachers are assigning, then, um, perhaps it would be, um, 
better for so all the students because it's a strategy that you're suggesting for teachers. So, um, Ian is also a debater, and yes. um, I know you're a debater, and when you're practicing, when you're doing your homework for years, it's actually a, um, a speech class, isn't it, that you study oral interpretation, where you um, practice doing uh, public speaking of public recitation yes. of uh, short stories, poems, essays dramatic interpretation, humorous interpretation. Can you talk a little about what you're practicing right now for that? Um, right now, I am practicing a piece that takes a humorous interpretation of death because he's in a mental institution because instead of he doesn't want to be death anymore, he wants to have a life. And so uh, can love, you describe to me how you do that? And do. Uh, I'm going to put up my, my list of deliberate practice so we can look at it while you're describing it. Uh, we often do things in school, like we'll um, do small drills for these things. But um, if there's especially a part that I'm messing up on or I need to practice more, I'll do is I'll go home and um, I'll do this. So it uh, it has a, an express purpose that you're working with. It's geared to you. It involves attention and focus. It requires repetition, right? Or rehearsal, really. Um, and do you feel as if it's leading to new skills? Yes. Yes, I, I do. I feel that um in learning how to act um, on stage or in front of a crowd, you are better able to control what you say in front of other people so and um, how you, you act. You haven't really addressed this question of in whether it's enjoyable. If, it, if you ever enjoy doing um, a, a piece of homework like that, is it ever enjoyable to you, anything that you do for homework? Um, the, the debate itself, that's pretty fun because um, it's an interesting activity. You have to act out and then you have to speak and you have to get all these things right. Um, I also find that some English assignments can be fun because of the um, way you have to interpret the reading and, and um, put this in a certain way. But I find that most math assignments, uh, science, often tend to be drills, repetition. So I'm going to switch back to Catherine now and, and ask you if there's ever been a kind school. of homework that you really just actually enjoyed. Because it's not a rule that uh, deliberate practice has to be unenjoyable. It's just not inherently enjoyable. So if it's no fun, it doesn't mean it's no good necessarily. Can you talk about any kind of homework you ever had that actually was um, stimulating to you and that you were actually pleased that you were doing, Catherine? Um, I've gotten a few projects in different classes um, that we've had that are really, really hands-on because I'm a, a very hands-on learner. Um, and so some projects that we've done, for instance, last year in world history, we did this in-class project where uh, or, I'm sorry, two years ago in world history, we did this in-class project where um, we were, uh, we had to draw out a, 
a settlement basically on a piece of butcher paper. However, um, we were given a certain area, and um, my teacher just kept um, naming out things to put in, like 50 houses, and then we'd have to put in four churches, and then we'd have to put in five schools, and then another 100 houses. And so uh, I think that was really cool just to see uh, how um, th that that learned the activity that we were doing was helping us learn, like, just do, like, exactly how busy and how crammed uh, uh, Europe was in the late 1700s, and it was just really interesting that she put it in a, a certain format that we got to decide where everything went, and then at, at some point everyone was just getting really stressed out because there was like no room left on the paper, but we still had to fit everything left. So. Uh, I think that some projects and, uh, it's homework more fun can be really, can really beneficial and really actually very fun. Should that be a criterion fun. for a really good a homework assignment? I definitely love group projects. I'm very social and I love working with my peers, um, especially when we have similar interests. Um, so I also like working with peers because it gives you a different look and perspective on what you're what you're focusing on and what you're learning. So um, I would definitely, especially um, in math and science classes, like so to have. So I'm going to ask uh, both Ian and Catherine to comment on um, whether um, homework in these four R's it tells you the uh, the the reasons that you might have effective homework. Um, what it would help if, if uh, teachers put at the top of uh, every homework assignment the purpose that you were, um, that the reason that you were being given this homework. And if they possibly were to uh, just lift it right up at the top that this is why you're doing this homework. And any other comments you want to make about these four R's that the other students who um, collaborated with me on this book came up with. One of them, of course, is it gets you ready for new learning. That's kind of like what you were describing, Catherine. Either one of you on this. Um, absolutely. Um, uh, I think collaborating and collaboration uh, in small groups and in projects in high school uh, can actually get you ready for uh, a college level work and even uh, projects in the workplace where you have to uh, collaborate with coworkers or uh, your peers on different things where you have to know how to communicate with each other in a way that you both understand what you're doing. A lot of the so, students that talked to me that said that they really resented doing homework um, if they didn't see the purpose. And in fact, often they just said, I don't see the purpose. The same kind of thing, actually, that I'm seeing in the chat at the beginning there when people remembered their own student homework. They just said it was pointless. Um, I want to pull up this other slide on which this uh, replicates something in chapter 8 of our book. Um, where the students con contrasted deliberate practice with homework. And um, perhaps, Ian, you want to, to comment a little on some of these um, contrasts that deliberate practice has an express purpose, but with homework, 
students often said they didn't know the point. Uh, like with homework, it's often um, things that we see as not something we're going to use in everyday life. With deliberate practice, we can say, all right, um, you know, we play an instrument. We're going to have to do these scales. And if we, uh, especially if we enjoy doing something, you know, we're going to need to do this so we can do it well. But with homework, especially, um, you know, say math, you're looking at geometry, and you're thinking, when am I going to need to know how to get the <laughs> circumference? Um, when, if Catherine, I'm not going to take I a remember job you in a said that field. one of your English assignments was reading Hamlet, and. Um, and that you felt as if you could really see the purpose of reading Hamlet before you went into class to discuss it the next day. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, every, we have gotten, uh, for the past few weeks, we've gotten certain reading assignments that we have to go home and do, and uh, we read a certain part of the book before the class, uh, the class after, and then during that class period, uh, our teacher basically helps us dissect the, the literature and helps us uh, understand what Shakespeare's saying, because Old English doesn't really come very naturally to all of us. So um, together as a class, uh, with the things that we've read, it, um, it helps us to closer, like, to better understand what uh, our teacher is helping us dissect. So if, the, if some of our peers haven't read, it's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's at a disadvantage to them that they don't understand, they're not at the same um, level as us and they don't so understand what we're talking about because they haven't gotten to that point in the book yet. Deliberate practice. The bottom thing is it leads to new skills, and many students complain that they don't use their homework for anything. So uh, would Catherine's example work for you? Do you think that that's the kind of thing that does count as deliberate practice because they're going to use it for something the next day in class, and they can't really do the class if they don't do it? Does that count for you? Well, yes, uh, I can see, um, you know, needing to learn through the class, but that kind of goes along with the whole, you know, this homework is coming from a class that, especially um, for maybe math or high-level English, when we're reading um, Old English, it's like, when am I going to need to speak Old English? <laughs> when am I going to go into, like, a store and say, okay, the circumference of this can is so-and-so? And um, that's kind of where the whole homework thought comes from, too. It's like, you so know, for I don't you, it's to really important that class homework, class in order to really want to do it, you have to really see its point, and um, and it has to it has to be used for something. So a lot of teachers, uh, all, I've heard this from a lot of students, that their teachers give them homework, and they check off that the students have done their homework. So you might say that it's practice in doing what you're told, but they never look at the homework or use it for anything. Um, do you think that that kind of homework really counts as deliberate practice? See, when they um, 
if you're going to, you know, count for uh, if you've done it, I think that's all right, as long as you check it the next day in class, because the point of practice is to say, all right, you know how to do this, well, we're going to look at it in class to make sure you know it. But if you're just assigning homework, saying, you know, just grading for if you've done it, and then, like, throwing it away or whatever, that's really annoying because, you know, I spent time on this. I put time into my work. Catherine, and would you like to comment on that? All right, there's stuff there. Now we're going to throw it away. Um, I, I agree with Ian on this. I think that uh, if, if anything, the most uh, annoying thing that a teacher can do is uh, count a uh, completion grade and then not even go over it in class. Um, because typically when we do completion, when my teachers take completion grades, we go over it, uh, we review what we, uh, what any questions that we have in class, and then uh, if we do have any questions, then we typically spend more time on that subject and then try to move on from there. Uh, but a few times we've been given home. I've been given homework before, and the teacher takes a grade for it, and then we so totally don't even review it if, at all. Is, is there any kind of problem with doing homework, getting it wrong, practicing something in your homework, getting it wrong, and then what do you see as the problem in in not having it be uh, corrected in a way, not having it be shown to you how to do it right? I feel like if the teachers want us to really learn this and uh, they want it to benefit us, then we, they should make sure that all of us fully understand it because if some of us are at the point where we do understand and some of us aren't, then what good is it to the half of the students that don't really understand and so, can't really uh, just tell remind, you exactly how to do it people like what, five years uh, Why we're drawing this parallel between homework and deliberate practice. A simple way to define deliberate practice is that it's the kind of practice we do that really has an effect on what we know and can do. And we may not like this kind of practice, but we can feel when it's working. And the cognitive research into how people learn all kinds of things, from chess to tennis to math to playing an instrument, has shown that these common elements are there in the way that people effectively practice. So I'm wondering if people in the uh, audience have um, and, uh, questions for these students yourselves. And uh, Tammy, maybe you can point out people that have had questions or, or how, to, how to ask them if, if so. And I'll just turn off my audio for a minute. OK, some of the questions that have come in is Sarah asked, she was curious why everyone was there, what prompted them to attend. We had a lot of responses that came through in text chat, but I thought I would toss that back out for those that wanted to, to respond to that question. And while people are responding to that one, I'll go on to the next one. Um, we had a participant ask, is homework necessary? And kind of in general, we've been hitting on it, but I thought I'd go ahead and pose that question out as a more direct question. Thanks, Tammy. Do you want Catherine and Ian to comment on those things, or are you just want people to um, comment in the chat? I think I think probably everybody. Go ahead and have the students say whether they think homework is necessary, and perhaps have participants indicate what they feel about it. 
I'd love to hear from the students and the participants. Do the participants know how um, to speak up? Who, who is that, Ian? Yes. Go for it. Um, yeah, I feel that homework is uh, necessary, but if it's only necessary if it's going to help in the class and if you're actually going to be able to use it in um, the classroom. You know, if it's just something where it's completely irrelevant or it's just busy work, you have to get something out. That's it's really annoying, but it's really helping us learn, helping us move on. Then yes, it's completely necessary. I, I want to point out one thing about International School of the Americas. It's very much a project-based curriculum at this, this school. So the students have an enormous number of projects in their, in their classes. And it may account for some people are expressing surprise that both these students are fairly amenable to doing homework. And it, it may be just a function of the fact that when they get into school, they often have something real to do with it. Catherine, do you think I'm right on that, or am I off base there? Absolutely. Um, we start with major projects freshman year, coming straight into it. We take a class um, called multimedia, and that counts as our technology and our speech credit. And the first project that we do is within the first five weeks of school. Um, we start on it. It's called storytelling. And we get with a group of students, and we all uh, we have to interpret a story, uh, like a child's story, um, and write our own script and make a play and then um, create activities um, for children at an, uh, a neighboring elementary uh, to do. And we actually, uh, after we rehearse and uh, perform it for our class first, we actually go to the elementary school and perform it for a class of uh, a kindergartner to third grade students. And uh, we actually have to help them under try to better understand the story. Um, and then all the way up to senior year, uh, we take trips every year. And this year, we're going to DC. And uh, our project is actually uh, focusing on a certain uh, aspect of the uh, 14 uh, millennium goals, which uh, are 13? Eight. Sorry. <laughs> the uh, eight millennium goals. Um, and uh, which include uh, to be um, to have uh, more gender equality, and um, so we're put into groups, and we have to make a presentation in uh, in a couple months on this on these subjects. So I, I feel that projects are definitely uh, prominent in our school, and that uh, yeah, we do and we definitely do a lot of projects. And and so does that somehow make um, make tedious homework a little more um, more have more purpose for you? Absolutely, especially when all the tedious homework, if you if you would, uh, that all the tedious homework is put together and is compiled together into a big project. Um, it kind of makes more sense to to have to do that those things um, if if there's a reason for it, like Ian said, if there's a reason for us to be doing it, um, like in the long run, to be uh, uh, collecting it all and putting it all 
putting aspects of all of it into a project, then it totally makes sense to have to do the homework. So are there any, do you want to wind up with any suggestions, Ian, as to um, how teachers could do homework better, fairer, um, and uh, more in line with the principles of deliberate practice? Um, yeah, one big way would be to ask their, your students what a good idea for a homework assignment would be. Instead of just like assigning a worksheet or making them do something, ask, you know, is there maybe um, something, some way that we can get you to learn, you know, how to do a certain skill. And um, this would be a great way to get, um, you know, homework assignments to be, be, be not just bearable but fun. That sounds great. Um, any other suggestions, Catherine, or, or or any more from you or from people in the um, in the audience? I think that um, uh, collaborating with other teachers um, on which nights you're giving kids homework and how much homework you're giving um, will definitely help, especially with kids who are in, involved in a lot of different curricular, uh, extracurricular activities. Uh, for instance, I'm in multiple school clubs and I'm in a lot of things outside of school, so I don't really have a lot of time. And uh, luckily, our teachers this year are very collaborative and only assign um, work that it that they that they're allowed to take up on different days. Um, even a nod is how they do it. So it's definitely all, uh, very helpful when the teachers collaborate with each other to um, decide what kind of uh, homework to give and how much homework to give. So on our blog um, last few weeks, we've been having a conversation with various teachers who flip their homework, who um, send the lecture home and do the homework during class so that the teacher can supervise the deliberate practice and, and give the appropriate work, differentiate for where the student is. Other people have other ideas of how to do homework. I'd love to hear some of those from people in our audience. Great. I thought I'd jump in. Oh, one thing that I noticed for myself is that it wasn't until adulthood that I realized how incredibly visual I was as a learner and how incredibly poor that I was as a verbal learner. And yet my son was the opposite. He was an incredibly good verbal learner and not visual learner. But through the process of helping him learn, it helped to really reinforce the idea to me that I think it helps students out a lot if instead of focusing on them completing a homework assignment in the form that it's given, if they actually, in a sense, have a research project running continuously that they pursue as to what works for them. And that part of the report that they give to the parents is what they've tried and some self-reflection as to what worked and what didn't work. And then give them some freedom that once they are starting to find things that do work, that they can modify their homework assignment to fit what works for them. Now, uh, one of the, that's a, that's a great comment, Tammy. Thank you. One of the things that I noticed one of the um, audience members, is it Carla, who asked uh, whether students preferred 
uh, it was Sarah, do students prefer a set schedule for homework or random assignments? I mean, we haven't um, gotten to the question in this of the equity of homework for students who simply don't have time to do homework at all. And I think everybody that spoke with me for the Fires in the Mind homework chapter really felt as if homework was not the same for every student, but people needed to know what it was going to be in order to sort of um, brace themselves for what in many cases an, is an almost impossible uh, uh, task for students who have jobs after school, who have family responsibilities outside school, who for various reasons are, are faster or slower reasons or, uh, learners than others or have other things that they um, need to be practicing other than the standard homework that's given out. This particular um, session with students is about deliberate practice and I think that um, we're concentrating on whether it, it meets these criteria and certainly geared to the individual as one of them. So I would say that the answer to Sarah's question is that overall the students that I spoke with for this book really did want individually designed homework and that one of their big ch uh, challenges to teachers is to come up with ways that the same homework doesn't have to be given to everybody in the class and it can be really differentiated. And there's a lot of conversation going on on that on our blog about that among teachers and I really invite you to join it. Other questions for, I asked Ian before, uh, before the, the interview, if he were a teacher, what kind of homework would he be giving if he were a teacher himself? Um, I said that I would probably end up giving um, homework that was based upon um, participation if they'd actually done it. But what I would do is I would check it in class and um, make sure that everybody understood the concept. So this way they're not stressed out about um, getting the answers right, but as long as they've applied themselves to it, even if they got it wrong, they can um, know how to do it correctly afterwards. Yes, uh, grading was a, was very, very controversial among the students who contributed to Fires in the Mind. Um, they were extremely opposed to grading homework. And I'm wondering if anybody on the on the board, on the chat board here, has any comments about whether there's a reason for grading homework, uh, since it's supposed to be deliberate practice, not performance. Um, one of the things that deliberate practice isn't, it, remember, is, it's, is performance. What about it? If you'd like to use the mic, feel free to let us know by raising your hand, and I'll give you a mic if you would like to, or you could use the, the text chat to answer if you wish. People are saying no grade. Uh, um, Catherine, do you have a response to that? What do you think about grading homework? I think that um, certain homework uh, that, like math homework specifically, um, for the past few years, I've had a few, uh, two, I think three out of my four teachers, um, two out of my three teachers actually have um, graded um, on completion and then gone over the 
the, uh, the actual assignment in class, and I think that's a, a lot more effective than um, worrying about getting it right or not, because if I were to not understand the assignment and then go home and try to do it myself um, and stress about um, whether or not I'm actually doing the assignment correctly, um, is a lot more stressful than going home and like trying to do it and saying, okay, well, I may not have gotten this one right, but I know that we're going to go over it tomorrow and I know that I'll still get the good grade that I want because uh, it's just on completion and I know that I completed the work. Molly, that's a great answer. So I noticed that we're running out of time and um, I'd like to just make a couple of points here. This is such a rich and controversial and interesting topic and it's one of those areas that teachers often feel that they just can't do anything about because there's this long, long history of of what homework is supposed to be, and then other people um, say it should completely be abolished. So it's a, a very, very interesting debate going on, and I, I'd love it if you would join that uh, conversation on the firesinthemind.org blog. And also, I wanted to say that this is just the first of a, a series of times that I'll be asking a couple of students at a time from around the country to join us and add their voices to the, the serious debates that we're having about all kinds of things right now in education. And I hope that you'll look for our Students 2.0 interviews regularly on, on Learn Central, on Students 2.0. And um, I particularly want to thank Catherine and Ian, who have given up an hour of their homework time to join us and really contribute their thoughtful um, insights into it from the trenches. And Honor Mormon, also their teacher who stayed way after school to make this possible. And um, I, I think it's a wonderful uh, tribute to a school that really takes its students seriously. And looking forward to finding uh, more students. If you have somebody you'd like to be interviewed, please uh, go on my blog and write me a note and I'll um, you know, comment on one of the articles and I'll write you back and line it up. So thanks to a wonderful audience here and to all of you. Thanks, Kathleen. Okay, let me go ahead and wrap it on up and head on over to our thank you screen. We'd like to thank, thank Illuminate, Learn Central, Bing, and Redo for allowing the, the platforms and all the tools that we need. Oops, I'm getting a little bit too far fast, too far forward. Um, want to encourage everyone to participate or to join up in the membership at Learn Central, and especially if you're teaching online and are teaching uh, using some of the tools related to uh, basically educational technology. You'll find birds of a feather at Learn Central. And also want to remind you of the Global Education Conference that's coming up on November 15th through the 19th. It's going to be an online conference. So even if you find it difficult to travel, if you could just sit down at a computer, click a few buttons, you can participate in this one. Coming up, we have on October 19th, Nancy White on Networks and Communities. And on October 20th, Jennifer Fox on Your Child's Strengths. We want to remind you that we have some recordings of past interviews. We last night had Roger Shank. And you can just go back. If you go to the uh, Future of Education, where they've got the archive for recorded sessions, We've had a whole bunch of really interesting interviews that you might want to go back and check out. 
And that's pretty much, much it. We want to thank everyone who came as a participant. This was a great audience. And next week, you'll get to have the pleasure of having Steve come in to lead these. And, but I found it to be a pleasure to get to jump in and be a substitute tonight. All right, everybody, thanks so much for coming.